2: Bring in show music, please.
3: This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box.
2: NYC, this is CNBC Control Two.
3: CNBC's essential morning show. Every Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics.
4: All right, we're coming to it next.
3: Today on Squawk Pod, another day, another roller coaster ride for the markets.
4: It's happening right now. These are frightening times.
3: Joe Biden dominates Super Tuesday with Bernie Sanders close behind in Democratic delegates. Analysis from pollster Frank Luntz
5: looking at the voter response, Biden is on his way up, and Sanders might well have hit his peak.
3: Texas Republican Ted Cruz on the coronavirus outbreak and the industry's most vulnerable.
5: The numbers are troubling and
6: we're right to be concerned.
3: And Robin Hood is the high-tech investing app in trouble after a two-day outage. Axios' Dan Premack.
7: If you're somebody who feels you got screwed over, you can go to another service and get the same benefits that you used to only be able to get from Robinhood.
3: Those stories plus...
8: Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Keep going. Wait
3: for it. Wait for it. The market we're all really talking about. Woo! (laughs) The 10-year treasury yield, the metric that has the business world buzzing. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Wednesday, March 4th, 2020.
7: Let's go! Let's go!
3: Squawk Pod begins right now.
2: back, Becky, by in three, two, one.
9: Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Our guest host is CNBC contributor Surat Sethi from Douglas C. Lane. And Surat, it's great to see you this morning.
1: Good to be here.
3: Kicking off today's podcast, another wild day on Wall Street. As if two days of seesaw trading aren't enough, one economic metric has done something unprecedented, and it has captured investors' attention. It's the yield on the 10-year Treasury bond. On Tuesday, it fell below 1%, and like I said, that's never happened before, not even during the Great Recession. Now, this metric, while admittedly dry, is important. It means that investors are willing to tie their money up for a decade in exchange for less than a 1% return, the lowest on record. It's a sign that investors' confidence in the markets, at least in the immediate term, is wavering. Of course, this isn't happening in a vacuum. As you heard on yesterday's Squawk Pod, the Federal Reserve announced a 50 basis point emergency cut to interest rates following the logic that lower borrowing costs will boost economic growth, even in the midst of a coronavirus outbreak. What we're learning from the 10-year drop? that rate cut might not be enough. People are looking for certainty. They want safe assets in the midst of what could become a global health crisis. And international investors usually turn to U.S. Treasury bonds for just that. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
4: Stocks were down early in the session yesterday morning and then at 10 a.m. Eastern time, the Fed triggered its first unscheduled emergency rate move since the financial crisis. That cut half a percent from the key Fed funds rate Chairman Jay Powell talking about the action and admitting the cut may not be a cure-all, so to speak.
8: We do recognize that a rate cut will not reduce the rate of infection. It won't fix a broken supply chain. We get that. We don't think we have all the answers. But we do believe that our action will provide a meaningful boost to the economy. More specifically, it will support accommodative financial conditions and avoid a tightening of financial conditions, which can weigh on activity. And it will
4: help boost household and business confidence. Well, then stocks whipsawed after the Fed surprise with the Dow eventually ending down nearly 800 points. The other big market headline yesterday, the 10-year yield dropping below 1% for the first time ever, quite a bit low. Uh, it was quite a day. It was down and, uh, we're down about 350,
8: 400 when they did it, then it was up.
4: You want to get ahead of these things, but can you really get ahead of these things? And do you we think up, it was we were up 1300 on Monday? That was your day, remember your No, nope, I know. Day, remember, I know. That was the I'm just, the, I'm just wondering, would you want
8: him to... I'm
4: not listening. If he's going to have to do I this wanna, at some actually, point... I do want to know your predictions. After. No, if he's going to have to uh, do this at some point, would have you preferred to do it next week?
9: I don't know. I think no matter what the Fed does, like, they're going to get criticized I heavily. I, I think this is just a situation where uh, there is no win. It,
1: it was actually a no-lose situation, because if they didn't cut, you were expecting, well, why aren't they cutting? Right. Markets are... Down no and what? the markets go down, and they do cut, then, you know, they, well, what do they know that nobody else knows? And look, at this point, it's it's pure insurance. It's trying to, you know, loosen liquidity. Right. And if you look at kind of what they're looking at, I mean, I've already, you look at people looking at mortgages. They're already starting to look at mortgages. So,
9: I locked in consu- a mortgage rate on
1: Saturday. Right. So, so the, basis the consumer, which is 60% of our economy or more, is kind of saying, look, things are going to get a little bit cheaper. And Relatively, You know, how much more cheaper can they get? But if you're locked in for a 10 or 30-year so yes, mortgage. Well,
8: yesterday was Tuesday. All right, So it went down 800 after that. Right. It's up sharply today. Maybe Biden, maybe the, the you know, Sanders, we're not going to nationalize everything mm-hmm. but at, at this point. Maybe, maybe there's enough people over 35. Did you see he won big time? Uh, anyone under 35? That. We will. But maybe it's got something to do with that. But I still think it has something to do with just yesterday. No, but the the, the gains today are. Let's by Friday. Let's see what the Fed. You think the gains are going to be? I think
1: that. I think that.
8: I think yesterday the the knee jerk was sell on the news of the Fed rate cut, but I think it is going to be helpful and and hopefully it helps stabilize.
1: And we have to look at, to your point, global coordination. So if the rest of the world starts doing something and the Fed didn't do anything, then it'd be wait, wait a second. So. Let's I, just look at this. And, all
9: in all, I think they, they had to do this. The market had, had already moved something. to that position. Yes. We know that the economy is definitely taking an impact. We don't know how steep yet, but we right. know you can just look around and see the things from people eating out to people even driving to doing all sorts these of These are frightening right
4: Conferences.
9: Right. All the, right. all the, all it the effect. Of, it's
4: happening
8: right now. These right. are frightening times. And I tell myself a lot of things that, that it's ridiculous to be thinking so much about all this stuff. But
9: but now we'll during, talk about in, in old flu
8: seasons, if we had rushed on with a headline that, that another person died during a flu season, we would have done that 30, 40, 50,000 times.
9: Yes, but what if, the, right? what if the mortality rate is 14 to 24 times? But, but right now, in, even in China,
8: a country of 1.4 billion people, you're talking about less than 100,000 total cases in the
4: world still. Yeah, but don't you, don't you think that in the next week we're going to hear big numbers? We, because
8: you, we can't do what China did. No, because we can, we can test. We're going to start. We to never got testing. big numbers in China. We got. And do you yes, think eighty thousand is a lot in China down on one point four billion? I don't think eighty thousand is a lot globally. I yes, don't think. Yes, but China shut everything down, and
9: we're not going to be able. To I, do
8: we're do not going to be able to do that. No. That is true.
4: Vice President Joe Biden uh, winning primaries in nine states: Virginia, North Carolina, Alabama, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Minnesota, Massachusetts, and Texas. And then Bernie Sanders won Colorado, Utah, and his home state of Vermont. It's
5: looking good. So I'm here to report we are very much
1: alive. And make no mistake about it, this campaign will send Donald Trump
0: packing.
8: Tonight, I tell you with absolute confidence, we are gonna win the Democratic nomination. And we are going to defeat the most dangerous president
4: in the history of this country. Delegate Counts still to be determined as we don't yet have a final call on California. Joining us right now from Los Angeles, pollster and political strategist Frank Luntz. Frank, it is good to see you uh, this morning. Um, We haven't mentioned, by the way, the name Michael Bloomberg, uh, who spent... Something on the order of half a billion dollars thus far, with very little to show. Uh, for it. Mike, Mike can't get it done. Mike I can't think. get it done uh, this morning. But, uh, Frank, the, the idea that, that Biden was going to have such a win, I think, has been, uh, I think it's fair to say, a surprise for many.
5: Well, the, it's, uh, you have to look at both sides of the coin. It's not just a Biden win, which was very impressive across the country, not just in states that had a large African-American population, which Biden has has been doing very well in. It's the complete collapse of Mike Bloomberg. In a number of these states, he didn't even reach the 15 percent threshold to get delegates. Never in American history have we seen so much money spent for so little outcome. And it is proof that message matters. It is proof that character traits matter Mike Bloomberg performed badly in two debates. Joe Biden did excellent in the most recent debate. And in our focus groups in California, we could see people switching over the last 72 hours from Bloomberg to Biden. It's one of the reasons why the polls did not pick it up. It was a very late last-minute shift, as well as Elizabeth Warren, her votes shifting to Bernie Sanders. Frankly, I think it's a two-person race right, right. now. So if it's
4: a two-person race. Do you want to handicap that two-person
5: race? I can't. And I've come on the show, and I've talked about Bernie Sanders, and I expected him to be in a stronger position than he is right now. He's going to win the lion's share of California delegates once those numbers are allocated. And the two of them are going to essentially be in a dead heat. The most important date right now is the debate in Arizona next week. If Biden can perform as well as he did in last week's debate in South Carolina, he will be the front runner. But if Bernie Sanders continues to out debate him in some ways to out shout him, this race I think is going to go all the way to the convention.
4: Okay, and then who do you think has a better chance against the president? To the degree you believe that the Democratic Party is a, is is voting in a rational way, meaning that you're going to try to pick the person you think has the better chance. Uh, to get to the White House?
5: There are too many people who won't vote for Bernie Sanders. There are too many people who find him too extreme on issues like health care, the so-called Medicare for all, or environmental policy, energy policy, tax policy. I know that... I actually believe that one of the reasons why stocks are up today is not just as a reaction to yesterday's market conditions, I think that investors are looking at the possibility now of Joe Biden winning the nomination, and he's going to be very good for stocks. Biden is more centrist. He understands Wall Street better than Sanders, and he's less likely, quite frankly, to put forward a confiscatory economic policy. Investors want Biden, they don't want Sanders.
8: I, I just think, I, I don't know if I describe as much to the debates as to the, you know, in a philosophical sense some of the stuff Bernie says is good but when when en masse the Democratic population suddenly sees the real possibility on the predicted markets at 65 percent that it's going to be Bernie Sanders and, and it starts actually becoming the poss- a reality I think that's what they saw last week and it's like if you're not if you're over 35 or, or th- 30 at least that is a horrifying prospect. I mean, it's someone like me, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just unthinkable. And I, I don't know why you would nominate someone who can't win in the general election. I think a lot of Democrats finally realized we're going to nominate a guy who is going to be McGovern from from day one. He's going to be McGovern. So it had nothing to do with the debate. It's like we came back and they came back and decided... the the Joe out of all the other candidates that Vice President Biden is is the best one for lack of 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 an alternative and Bloomberg you know a billionaire and that I I was going to ask you Frank I I can't remember exactly what I I thought you were kind of positive about Bloomberg what what is your most in the last 10 appearances on Squawk Box what's the most prescient point that you gave us over the last 10 where you were
5: absolutely right about that Democrats and I've said this again and again. Democrats will not vote for billionaires. They did not vote okay. for I Tom thought you Steyer. Thought
8: that money could do, I thought you said don't underestimate him. Money can
5: go a long way. Not in advertising. You have to perform well in the debates. And Mike Bloomberg performed horribly. And he agitated people. So and the you focus groups... S- you think a billionaire hold on, could, hold on. No, no, me, I don't the, think so. The focus groups that we've been doing, these are with Democratic focus voters, group. not pundits. Those focus groups were showing us that people were leave, leaving Mike Bloomberg in droves for Joe Biden. They found Biden, particularly over the last week, South Carolina, just because of the it,
9: debate performance, you
5: think, the debate performance, the speech that he gave in South Carolina. We saw it last night. Joe Biden is hitting his stride. This was not the same Joe Biden that began the debates six, seven months ago. But, but he's but Frank,
4: the, the, he, he is just as likely to have the same type of gaffes that he's had over, you know, in, in, terms, in terms of public speaking gaffes. That's not going away.
5: Right. Well, that's why we ha- that's why I'm telling it, viewers to watch the debate in Arizona. I think that it's going to matter tremendously. And Biden is is gaffe prone. But at his best, he is a very strong candidate. Right. He delivers a very powerful, passionate speech. And in looking right. at the polling data, looking at the voter response, Biden is on his way up and Sanders might well have hit his peak.
4: Frank, really, really quickly, uh, what does this say, though, about about not just Michael Bloomberg, but the idea of spending lots of money? I'm thinking of Tom Steyer and everybody else.
5: Is, is it, there a, is
4: there a walk away lesson from this, that this is not going to happen again?
5: Uh, they may still try. Republicans don't hate money. Republicans don't hate billionaires. Democrats do. And the fact is, if you're wealthy and successful, the Democrats are not going to vote for you. It's just a fact.
8: How do you like the media's performance? Uh, let's see. We went from. Maybe Warren to Kamala Harris to Mayor Pete, then Klobuchar had a, a short little time in the Senate. They couldn't hit if they fell out of a boat, they couldn't hit water, Frank, in terms of what was going to happen here. They, they, they mix up what they want as as completely compromised media, they're saying they're non-biased. They go from from that to what's actually going to happen. They have no idea what's this actually going to happen. Right?
5: This may be the first time in the six months I've been doing this show that you and I agree, the worst pundits. <laughs> well, I ask,
8: Yeah, well, I'm glad we haven't agreed because I asked you if you had it. one prescient point over the last six months. I, mean, I, I wanted you to tell us what it was because it, I've, it, I've put my money on a bunch of different things based on what you said, and none of it ever came true, Frank.
5: I told you billionaires <laughs> were not going to win right, the Democratic too, primary. So we
8: agreed then too, so we were actually in agreement on that one. I think you. Grew, I think you grew that, grew that beard so people would remember you as the same guy
4: <laughs> from six months ago. Okay, You're Frank. a tough guy. Yeah. Thank you, Frank. A stock to watch today. Campbell's soup shares are rising uh, right now after earnings sales uh, beat the street. And uh, the company raised its full year profit outlook. And I bet you lots of people, you go to the shelves in the supermarket and uh, soup. Soup. Anything canned can. right about now. They were trying to get away from soup uh, and get into all sorts of fresh, uh, fresh foods and things. but uh Designer soup. Too. Soup, is, uh, soup is good right Chicken
8: about now. Chicken noodle. For if you're not feeling Great. Well that's a separate,
6: right?
3: Oh, boy. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod.
6: Once we take care of the threats to human life, then the next stage is going to be the economic implication.
3: Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz on the rise in coronavirus cases in the US and the dominoes to fall. We'll be right back.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Track,
4: right
3: this is Squawkpot. Here's Come Becky on. Quick. Up on Becky. CEOs
9: of major airlines are scheduled to huddle this morning at the White House to talk about the coronavirus crisis. As the disease spreads, airlines are starting to feel a bigger and bigger revenue hit. Phil LeBeau joins us right now. He's got more on that story. Hi, Phil.
2: Hey, Becky. This is the coronavirus gut punch to the revenue stream for the airlines. How much will the airlines be hurting as the cancellations mount? Well, it depends on how how accurately we get this data and the most recent data from a couple of weeks ago from the uh, International Air Transport Association known as IATA, they said that global traffic would drop 4.7 percent in 2020 And it would cost the airlines about $29.3 billion in lost revenue. But as you take a look at the airline index, keep in mind that that estimate for IATA, that was from two weeks ago. And we've seen the cancellations pick up since then. This is why analysts are saying for the airlines, it's all about managing cash flow right now. As you take a look at the four largest U.S. carriers, Delta, American, United, and Southwest over the last month, American, basically since February 12th, The stock has lost 42% of its value. The CEOs of those companies will be here at the White House today. They're supposed to meet with at least Vice President Mike Pence. We could see them also meet with the president if he decides to join that meeting. But, guys, at the end of the day... I'm not sure what the White House can say to these CEOs short of we'll do something to help you out financially, which I don't think is going to happen because if you help out the airlines, do you also help out the hotel industry? Do you help out other industries that are suffering because people are simply canceling their trips right now? They're just going to have to work their way through basically the fact that they've got too much supply and the seats are just not being filled on these planes to the degree that they expected just a few weeks ago.
9: Hey, Phil, I guess what's unique about the airline industry is they collect the fees up front for the tickets that you're selling you. So in a certain sense, it's kind of like the float that the insurance industry uses. To an
2: an extent, to an extent. Uh, But you also have a lot of people who will say, you know what, we'll pay the $200 to cancel the ticket. Now, a lot of airlines, and you heard from United yesterday that it joined American and Alaska, as well as JetBlue in terms of canceling change or, or the fees that goes with changing a ticket or cancelling a ticket, but those are in certain areas in terms of tickets that are bought now between later in March. What's interesting here, Becky, is that their costs don't drop. They still have to, let's say you are, you are leasing an, a, a narrow-body aircraft and it costs you $300,000 a month in terms of what you have to make on a lease payment, you've got to come up with $10,000 a day in revenue one way or the other. And if you have to sit down that plane or you're not flying it as often, it's going to be tougher for you to come up with that $10,000. Is liquidity an issue for the large airlines? Not right now. They're fine. The issue is going to be with your low-cost carriers, particularly in Southeast Asia. They don't have the liquidity that you see with the large carriers here in the U.S. as well as in Europe. Okay. Thanks,
8: Phil. I appreciate you it. In addition to today's airline CEO meeting at the White House, the Aviation Subcommittee of the Senate Commerce Committee will be talking about the coronavirus this morning. Senators will be examining the role of global aviation in containing the spread of the disease. Texas Senator Ted Cruz uh, joins us now. He's the chairman of the Aviation Subcommittee. It's been a while, Senator. It's good to see you. We, We were just talking off camera, Becky and I, about um, what is Rutgers? Uh, suggesting nobody go abroad. It, it said
9: they made the decision this week to cancel all of their spring break semester study abroad programs and their international spring break programs. And the president says that staff and students really shouldn't travel overseas. So, at all.
8: I mean, who would go overseas now, uh, Senator? And, and, and not only that, but what, what how do we help the airlines? And what what, what are
6: you going to be looking for today? And as far as questions from from the executives. Well, I think the risk profile varies depending on what geographic area you're looking at. And, and what's important is that we actually follow the science here, that we listen to the scientists and the experts, and that we do everything we can to contain this outbreak and, and to prevent it from becoming a, a full-fledged pandemic. Uh, the numbers are troubling, and we're right to be concerned. As, as we sit here this morning, we've got over 93,000 confirmed cases of the virus. We have over 3,100, nearly 3,200 confirmed deaths. Of Of those cases of the virus we 're sitting at just one hundred and twenty seven in the United States, so the bulk of that is overseas, and the overwhelming majority of that is still in china that's that 's good news that that is good news, the extent to which it 's been contained Now you look at where else it has spread heavily, we know that it has spread heavily to Iran, we know that it has spread heavily to South Korea, we know that it's spread heavily to italy and 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 so all three of those are are dealing with significant challenges. Um, The hearing that I'm chairing this afternoon is to bring in the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and the Department of Transportation and Customs and Border Patrol to really listen to the experts and to understand what's going on. I know a lot of people are concerned, but I think it's right not to panic, not to give in to to hysteria, but to be driven by the facts and and to marshal every resource possible and necessary to, to protect life, to contain this. And, and, and hopefully to get it behind us. And once we take care of the threats to human life, then the next stage is going to be the economic implications of, of what this slowdown means, and in particular right now, the, the inability to travel back and forth uh, to Asia and to China in particular.
8: You know, by definition, Senator, the, the migration from Wuhan, Tana to just about every country in the world now is it 100 percent mediated through someone that was on an airplane that someone get on a boat and go somewhere? I mean, we can pretty much assume that, that this moves globally from the airline industry. So you, that's the first place we should look to try to, make, right. to try to they should be doing things to try to stop this from from happening. What do we need them to do?
6: Well, and, and that's something I think the Trump administration acted wisely when they stepped in early and and halted commercial air travel back and forth to China. And when they set up a quarantine regime for, for any Americans who were abroad in the affected region to go through quarantine before coming back, th- th- those are both extraordinary steps. It's been a very long time since we've seen the federal government do either one of those and and listening to the health experts, I was visiting with, with uh, Tony Fauci, the head of CDC yesterday, the health experts are telling us that doing that significantly slowed down the spread of the virus, that if we hadn't done that, if there had been unrestricted air travel back and forth from China, from the time of the outbreak to now, that we would in all likelihood be looking at, at a significantly larger number of cases in the United States. What slowing the spread down does is it gives you time to develop uh, to develop vaccines, to develop treatment protocols, and, and uh, the administration is, is meeting with, met with pharmaceutical CEOs earlier this week, is, is, is meeting with the experts at the FDA and the CDC, and, and working to getting testing kits out. That's one of the significant steps. Next week, a substantial number of testing kits are, are being sent out, so that by the end of next week, they're expecting to have the capacity to, to conduct over 1 million tests. Now, we don't have anywhere near that number of cases, but obviously a lot of people right now are concerned, if, you, if you're manifesting flu-like symptoms, uh, a lot of people are wanting to get get checked out, get the test, and so I think they're stepping forward proactively to get those tests out and available.
8: People are still coming in from around the world, though, and, and if they're asymptomatic or if, they're, if we don't have tests, I, I don't see how you know, we, we can expect to be. Uh, you know expect to be screening people at this point we're just we're not screening people are we
6: well it, it, it is a challenge we are certainly screening people if they're coming from if they're coming from China or the Wuhan region in particular we're not allowing commercial air flights and so that limits right. some of the flow Well, now we it's, got Italy and Iraq.
8: we got how many places yeah. I mean you, you, you Intra, uh, should we be and, and just, screening people from Washington state and going to other parts way, of, uh, of the United States? we screening,
9: we're just talking about seeing if they have a temperature. Right. right. We're not seeing uh, if if they actually have the coronavirus.
6: Well, and that's right. And, and, and part of the challenge is that the incubation period, we don't fully know. We think it may be 14 days, although there's some conflicting evidence on that. That's going to be one of the questions we're going to address at the hearing today so so one of the questions that we're trying to ask people that come in is have you traveled to any of the affected regions not just on the plane you're coming from right now but in the past two weeks have you traveled there and 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 getting those questions you know I met with the head of the airline uh, association yesterday and they were talking about some of the some of the challenges they're finding implementing what CDC is asking for in terms of getting the full travel history uh, of every international passenger, and I think they're, they're working hard to do that. Uh, one of the challenges is also is that CDC is wanting airline employees to take temperatures uh, of passengers before they board. Airline employees naturally are, are hesitant to do so. They're not healthcare professionals, and, and so some, some of the ticket agents are saying, wait a second, why am I taking a temperature? That, that, that seems a reasonable question for an employee, an airline employee, right. to be asking.
8: Hey, Senator, what, today's Wednesday, right? So well, Super Tuesday was yesterday, yeah. was it not? Huh? Okay, so we saw what happened uh, in, in the great state uh, of Texas. And I'm just wondering, I mean, you, you've spoken passionately about Cuba and, and, and your feelings on, on the Castro regime, et cetera. Seeing Bernie Sanders, are you, are you gratified that, that Texas gave the vice president a big win? Or would you rather have Donald Trump face Sanders because he might do be better. Where are you on that? You got any comments on that? How, how do you look at it? It's like oh enemy look, I, my enemy is. I don't know uh, how to how to view it.
6: Uh, I'm certainly grateful that Texas didn't vote for Bernie. There are a lot of things Bernie embraces that I think are really wrong and really dangerous. And I, I serve with Bernie. He's a true believer, but but he is a socialist. And you mentioned Cuba. He has for decades gone out of his way to praise communist dictators, whether Fidel Castro, whether Maduro, whether whether Chavez, whether Ortega, Nicaragua, whether the Soviet Union, whether whether communist China. Um, You know, one of the things I did last month during the impeachment trial is is I started a podcast. It's it's called Verdict with Ted Cruz. And and it went from being non-existent to it became the number one ranked podcast in the world. We had had over four and a half million downloads in, in just a few weeks the latest episode of verdict with Ted Cruz I, I actually flew my aunt my tia Sonia from Dallas up to DC and I interviewed her because my, my tia Sonia was, was imprisoned and she was tortured by Castro's goon she was there when the revolution happened she fought in the counter-revolution against Castro she saw the misery and poverty and so the podcast it, it's become one of our most downloaded podcasts because it's a chance to, to really listen to a first-hand story and and, and what Bernie is saying of, of Cuba as the socialist paradise is, is just utterly false, uh, as anyone who's lived through it could tell you.
8: Like, unless you like those real—some of those cars are pretty cool, those old, uh, you know, like a 56 uh, Ford or, or Chevy. But so what did you say? Did you say you'd rather have the president face uh,
6: Bernie or you'd rather have uh, face President—Vice uh, President Biden? Uh, you know, Bernie scares me. And the reason Bernie scares me, I know a lot of Republicans that are, that are celebrating every time Bernie wins. Yay, let us run against Bernie. He's so extreme that, that, that Trump gets reelected. The thing that scares me about, about Bernie is we're a divided country. There is a chance this country could elect a wild-eyed socialist. And you want to see something that would do devastation to our economy, to people's lives. That worries me a great deal. I'd rather not even roll the dice. So personally, I'd rather Biden because he's at least... In terms of the Overton window, he's at least slightly closer to rational. He's still very liberal. I mean, I mean, what yeah, qualifies right. as moderate in today's Democratic field is right. it has moved dramatically towards the few years. Ago.
8: That's uh, that, that's that, telling right there. Uh, okay. That's exactly
6: right. What's All right, huh? All right, Senator. Uh, anyway,
8: Senator Cruz, thank you. So Always I, a pleasure. I might listen to a Tom Cruise podcast. I don't. What's the name of yours again? Cruz on verdict. Verdict. The verdict. Ver- verdict. You have more cruise. listeners than the Squawk Pod. I don't. Uh, do you think that uh, we have a podcast? We, not
6: only that, we passed Joe Rogan. We rose to number one.
8: Uh, when you pass Squawk Pod, we'll uh, come back. I'm, I'm not uh, granting you that right now. Anyway, <laughs> th- no, you probably are.
3: Next on Squawk Pod, Robin Hood's mishap. Axios' is business editor on the app outage that might have cost millennials a lot of money.
7: For its most regular users, it's a mess.
3: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
0: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at WellsFargo.com/slash active cash.
3: Welcome back. I'm Katie Kramer and you're listening to Squawk Pod.
2: Three, two, one, Qander.
4: Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Our guest host this morning, CNBC contributor Surat Seffi of Douglas C. Lane.
9: Trading app Robinhood suffered a second outage yesterday. That app was down throughout Monday, leaving users unable to take advantage of the largest ever point gain in the Dow and was fully operational by noon yesterday as stocks fell after the Fed's surprise rate cut. Reports say that the trading app now faces regulator scrutiny. Joining us right now for a look at how this will impact Robinhood's reputation is Dan Primack. He is business editor at Axios. And Dan, Robinhood has been the darling for a long, long time. They set the standard of zero cost trades. Now you see this happen. What does this tell you?
7: Uh, Well, it's a disaster, obviously, for Robinhood, and particularly kind of for its high-volume users. Now, remember, lots and lots of Robinhood users didn't really—they experienced an outage, but they probably didn't notice, right, because they weren't necessarily trading over the last two days. But for its most regular users, it's a mess. And and the thing about Robinhood is, while it's got a really clean interface and people love that and there's a cash management feature, a big piece of it, that zero-dollar trades— Everybody else has followed suit on that starting last fall, so that's no longer really a differentiator for them. So if you're somebody who feels you got screwed over, you can go to another service and get the same benefits that you used to only be able to get from Robinhood.
9: Hmm. What, what was the problem? Too much trading activity? Or were they, just, their systems just not ready for it?
7: Uh, we don't exactly know. Uh, they, provide, they, they originally said, oh, our systems were having problems communicating with each other. They then took about 24 hours to come out with a statement, no apology, but a statement last night. Yeah, which said that basically their DNS didn't work. They got overloaded by too much activity. Uh, There's a bunch of engineers on Twitter who are kind of questioning pieces of that, don't quite understand it. There's going to have to be a serious audit of this, a third-party audit to figure out what really
1: happened. Do you see kind of movement now towards the Schwab's fidelities? I mean, we saw Schwab is is buying TD. Uh, E-Trade is not going to be part of Morgan Stanley. I mean, all this was caused with zero trading. Um, so, you know, a year from now, do you think Robinhood still exists because individual investors can do all this themselves?
7: Well, I think it'll still exist. I think one of the questions is, is someone going to buy Robinhood? And, and if that and if somebody was thinking about it, particularly, you know, when Morgan Stanley announced the E-Trade deal, a lot of people jumped and said, oh, someone's now going to try at least to buy Robinhood. Uh, why wouldn't you? It's very popular. You know, one of the things about Robinhood is even after everyone went to those zero trades last October, Robinhood's user base grew. In fact, it grew faster in Q4 than it grew in Q3. It grew faster, I am told, in January and February than it did in Q4. So it was still expanding. Robinhood was a wonderful acquisition target for somebody else who wanted to rival what Morgan Stanley did. What happened Mm -hmm. over the last two days, though, clearly puts that into question. And what do you think regulators are going to do? Well, I think they're going to look. You know, it's interesting. uh, There is a law Uh, on the books here that Congress could actually theoretically take a look at this, although it's supposed to be based more on bigger systemic issues, for example, like the flash crash. You know, what happened with Robinhood affected Robinhood users. It didn't affect the markets as a whole. But look, regulators are going to have to take a look at this. And as I said, there is going to have to be a serious tech audit. Uh, What Robinhood has said so far just doesn't cut it.
9: How many customers do they have?
7: I honestly I don't know the exact answer except to say a lot and and it definitely skews younger they are they are known as a millennial focused company
9: so you think they still would be an acquisition target just at a lower price. I
7: think so. And look, you know, obviously we'd be talking longer term. Anybody and I don't have any information that somebody was in talks to buy them tomorrow. But anybody who was clearly is going to want to understand what happened, you know, and why the the outage happened. But, yeah, they could definitely still be an acquisition target. They're still a very popular company. They still run a lot of trades. There is, though, probably a new litigation risk now. I mean, you'd have to be able to prove I don't know how you would prove that you were going to make trades. But if you were Robinhood user and if your money was sitting inside of Robinhood and you didn't get to play on the biggest gain, in points day ever for the Dow, you've got to think there's going to be a class action lawsuit. I, I think anybody who that.
4: tried to log in that day who couldn't actually has a claim. Yeah. Well,
9: Ir- irrespective of what kind of you don't of email even know what they were going to do. You don't even know if they were you just don't even, even know what the they're going to do. But
4: if you were trying to log in and you couldn't yeah. on that day, I think you have a claim. By the way, just uh, uh, to answer your question, it's uh, a little over 10 million users right now. Wow, there you
9: go. That's substantial.
4: What's worse, that
8: not being able to get in that day, or Watch, on the down uh, day. Yeah, trying to, you know, <laughs> back in 87, no one was picking up the phones. Uh,
7: well, look, yeah, I mean, Robin Hood, unfortunately, I mean, it it, sta- it came back online after a couple trading hours yesterday. In theory, maybe you could have, you know, if you couldn't get in on the upside, you also couldn't get in on the downside. But I guess That's you only got in on the saying, downside right? yesterday.
9: You, you missed on both sides, you know, you missed the whole turn up and down. Dan,
3: thanks. Good to see you. Thank you. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan. Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern.
8: Anchor School 101.
3: To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating or take a few minutes to write a review. That helps other listeners find Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
4: We are clear. Thanks, guys.